Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode three of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Melissa Morgan, founder of Ms Cupcake, a vegan bakery in the UK's South London, whose tagline is the naughtiest cakes in town. And I've been there several times and I can confirm that it is true. This interview with Melissa is another one that I did for my book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. I mentioned in episode one of Vegan Business Talk that I was bowled over by the generosity of the business owners that I interviewed. They were so happy to share their secrets of success, their strategies and their advice. And Melissa gives some great tips in this interview, including why you should invest in branding up front, how her strong branding sets her apart from the crowd to the point where she says if 50 other vegan cake businesses opened on the same street as hers, she wouldn't be worried. Quite a bold statement. How she got five publishers beating down her door to write a cookbook and much more. So here's the interview with Melissa Morgan from Ms Cupcake. So <laughs> um, let's start with the purpose and the why. So what are your drivers? What is your why um, for running um, a vegan cupcake business? Um, well, I guess it, was, it, it all started back sort of uh, six, seven years ago when I was making the transition myself from being vegetarian to being vegan. Um, and I'm originally from Canada. And in North America, uh, there, you can pretty much find a vegan or a gluten-free or some sort of specialty bakery in every town or city. So it was a bit shocking when I started looking around in the UK to find out where my local <laughs> vegan bakery was. I found that there wasn't anyone anywhere, so um, I thought, hang on a second, there's there's a problem here because, you know, cake is like one of my main food groups, so <laughs> I thought, oh goodness me, I'm going to have to start making all the cake myself, so I um, always enjoyed being in the kitchen, um, but, um, it, you know, this time I had a purpose as to why I was going to be making cake and um, after about a year or so of experimenting and playing around and getting everyone to try the cakes I realized I might actually have cottoned on to a good business idea because you know if there's something that you want in life generally there's going to be someone else who wants it too so that's um, that's kind of how it all started really. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Now, some of the um, the business owners I spoke to, particularly in the, the food um, arena and, and some other places, have said that, um, you know, particularly if something is vegan or, or organic or sustainable, um, sometimes it's more pricey, it's more expensive because it's not subsidized. Um, and I'm just wondering if that's an issue for you and if so, how you deal with the challenge to stay competitive and attract clients. Um, well, I think I think to that really early on that our margins were going to be very very small, uh, so we had to keep a very close eye on things like waste and um, overheads because we we don't want to make our products more expensive than traditional cake. We want people who are not vegan to be eating our cake, and you know I'm I'm very proud to say that you know I, about fifty percent of our client base 
case, um, don't come to us because specifically they are vegan, but they come to us because they love the fresh, indulgent, wonderful cake. And to me, that's just the best way to do things. So we do have to take a bit of a hit when it comes to cost. Um, but we're, you know, we've gotten very good at what we do, and the bigger that we get, um, the more sustainable of a business we're developing. But I think it was just, we, I realized really early on that this wasn't going to be any kind of that huge money-making endeavor. It was more of a labor of love. Got it. Right. Great. And isn't that fantastic, though, that you've got 50% of your clients that are not vegan? I mean, that's just perfect. You know, that's a, a really cool way to kind of do vegan activism and vegan education. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what we really wanted to do. We want um, you know, it's the easiest way to convince people that um, veganism isn't something strange or weird and it's actually something wonderful for the world um, by giving them indulgent, wonderful cake. Absolutely. I love I love it. I love the strategy. <laughs> now, sometimes with um, with uh, business owners, particularly small business owners, you know, they're, they're still sort of you know uh, get it getting started. There's extra demands on a business owner's time. So as well as the everyday workings of the business, you know, delivering the orders, the admin, there's now social media accounts to maintain, and all of that can kind of feel a bit overwhelming. I'm just wondering how you cope with that, and what advice would you give to others in regards to that kind of overwhelm, particularly people who are starting out on their vegan business journey. Yeah, I don't know if I coped with it very well when I started. Um, I just spent, you know, 18, 19 hours a day on my business, um, much to the um, chagrin of my family, friends, and <laughs> everything else. And what I always say to new business owners is that, you know, you will actually become so passionate about what you're doing that it won't feel like a chore, all of the extra things that you're doing. If it, you know, you should, of course, be tired. You should, of course, feel overworked and stretched. But if you don't feel passionate while you're doing all of those things, be it the accounts or the social media, um, you know, then maybe maybe you're trying to grow your business just too quickly and you need to slow it down a little bit. You know, businesses can grow at lots of different paces. They can be part-time um, hobby-type businesses or they can be all-encompassing huge ones where you employ loads of staff straight away. But you can control that. Um, it's when people allow the business to take over and, uh, it, you know, I guess one of the lessons I learned really early on was it's okay to say no to things and it hurts when you're saying no to an order or someone saying, please, 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 can't you just squeeze this in? But I would much rather do everything we do exceptionally well than have to cut corners because we've taken on too big of a workload. Um, the other thing that I did quite early on, I guess within, you know, I started the business as a home business, so I was making the cakes, selling the cakes, doing all the admin, doing everything myself. And within a few months, I realized that the, the key thing is, is that as a business owner, you have to ask yourself this question. In my case, it's about cake. The question really is, do you want to make cake for a living or do you want to run a cake business? And this can be, you know, transferable to so many different industries. And if it is that you want to make vegan cake for, uh, you know, for your life and that's what you want to do, then go get a job somewhere else that you can make vegan cake. Save yourself that hassle. <laughs> if it 
<laughs> if it's that you want to run a business, then you need to accept the fact you need to bring people on quite early on um, and to help out. So I figured, what don't I like doing in my business? Now, for some people, it might be social media. For some people, it might be the accounts. For some for people like me, it was, I really couldn't stand making buttercream icing. So I found <laughs> someone to fulfill that role in my business. Um, and then that's how the business grew step by step by step like that. That's brilliant. That's such good advice. So that, that's really gold. I, I, I agree with you. You know, you do see people kind of just rushing because they want to just get there and be a success. And if they're not, you know, somehow it's, it's a failure. And I think there's some really, really good advice in there. So that, that's brilliant. Um, so approximately how much time would you say nowadays, now that you're going, do you spend um, working on your business rather than in it? So doing that big picture stuff that, you know, strategizing and brainstorming new ideas for improvement and growth. That's such a key difference, isn't it? The working on and working in the business. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I definitely did have a big turning point about two years ago when I realized we were just treading water and it was because I wasn't stepping back enough. And um, now, you know, my a huge part of what I do is um, stepping away from the business and looking at it um, and looking not just on the grand picture of growth, but also about how we can be more efficient and also a better place to work for my team. You know, and I, I, so at least once a week, I step away with my general manager from my bakery for half a day for us to spend time looking at the grand picture, not looking at the orders that are coming in that day or looking at the fact we need to, to, to get a hold of some extra ingredients, but really spending time thinking, what are we doing and how can we flip it on its head to make it better? Uh, and then in addition to that, I also like to include my staff in these these ideas. So be it my sales team at the bakery or my admin team, each I meet with each staff member on a one-to-one basis once a month for them to talk about the key question, what would you do to make this business better? Um, because they can come up with some real golden stuff. And it, you, you, that they're the best people at your fingertips and you really need to start listening to them as a business owner to help yourself grow. That's wonderful. Absolutely. It helps them to feel valued as well, I suppose, as well, which is uh, because I know that's one of the challenges of uh, a couple of um, vegan business, food uh, making businesses over here is that they find it a bit of a challenge to find and maintain, uh, retain um, experienced and motivated staff. And I think what you just said there is is some really good advice about how how you can go about doing that by involving them in, in your business. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I've, I've cracked it by any means. Um, I think that especially in the food industry, vegan or otherwise, there is a massive turnover of staff that once you you accept that, usually what ends up happening with most most businesses, vegan or not, is that the first your first handful of staff will stay with you in that first year or two and um, you'll feel like a family and you'll grow and then people will begin to move on and so begins the, the ever-changing staff and always looking for great staff and we've got the added um, trickiness we want someone who's going to be passionate about veganism and vegan cake um, and we also insist on majorly amazing customer service so it is a hard ask um, but we're all so I go out of my way to find different ways to ensure that my team know that they're valued like tonight we're closing the shop two hours early because my staff have had a couple of really busy weeks and 
I need to take them out for dinner to say thank you. And so oh. sometimes it is about putting the business second and putting your team first. Brilliant. Lovely. I love that. Um, in terms of when you were first starting up, what were the key challenges um, before you, as you were starting up the business? Um, I think for me in particular, I, 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 um, I, I really was kind of creating a market uh, because the, um, what, we, what we specialize in is decadence which is usually considered to be the opposite of <laughs> veganism. Um, and so by creating something that just really didn't exist before, we had to find an audience rather than already having one that was used to decadent, indulgent, over-the-top vegan cakes. Um, <laughs> and so I think that was a huge thing for us. And for me personally, you know, I, before I did this, I worked as a, prim- a top primary school. So I knew nothing about the food industry. I knew nothing about running a business. I didn't know anything about tax returns, hiring staff, um, you know, all the insurances I needed. Um, and I really had to learn everything on the hoof. And um, now, nowadays, it is better. The government is really, in the UK, is really seeing that they can help people make a difference to their local communities by helping them to start businesses. So there's a lot more support out there. But I think that that was um, certainly something I had to personally learn as as and when I went. But education never stops, does it? You can always That's be learning right. things along the way. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. How do you go about um, getting people to stop and take notice of your business in uh, without feeling like they're harass- you're harassing them? You know how you know everybody's got there's lots of notifications and tweets and Facebook updates, and um, I guess I'm just curious how you kind of communicate with your customers and clients without kind of yeah feeling like you're harassing them. And um, that's um, a really hard balance, and it really depends on the voice of your business and this is something I always say to people is what you know you you need to know everything about your brand because once you know who your brand is you'll understand the voice your brand speaks in um, and that will also dictate what cost who your customers are going to be so we for example we don't do high-end weddings that's not something we specialize in. Um, and you wouldn't really come to a crazy cupcake hat wearing lady to do your <laughs> elegant traditional wedding. Um, but if you are looking for an over-the-top, fun, indulgent cake for a child who has a serious egg allergy, um, but you know, you're looking for something fun, you're going to come to our business. So I think because our business is a very casual one, in terms of how we communicate with our customers, we make sure our voice online echoes that. So, um, you know, we can get away with being a bit cheeky and saying, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? Because that's who we are. It's truthful to our brand. It's truthful to our staff. It's truthful to me. Um, and I think that that's actually um, benefited us in the way that we speak through social media. Um, you know, I think you know, we just also really make an effort to never – try to appear to be selling anything Um, and I think that's a really easy thing to do if you've got a food product because all you need to do is put a picture on Instagram (laughs) of a peanut butter brownie that people are just going to go crazy for and you don't have to say this is on sale at our bakery for this amount of money (laughs) get it while you can you literally just have to say fresh out of the oven boom like that if I was selling vegan footwear 
it, it is a slightly trickier, you know, thing to do because people don't automatically go, I must have those shoes and I must run to buy them immediately while they're fresh out of the, out of the factory. But and I think it's a similar kind of thing. If you just present your product in a really popular, exciting way, and if your product is something that's not physical, like if it's, um, you know, mentoring services or accounting services, I think that you can really rely heavily on um, just, you know, letting people know that other people are satisfied. Um, yeah. But just don't appear like you're selling, um, and people will do the buying themselves if they like what you have on offer. I like that. Yeah, that's right. Because we all hate being sold to, even if we want something. I think there's been research on even if we want exactly that a particular product, if we feel we're being sold to, we actually still won't buy it, even though we want it. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how much of a challenge do you find or do you experience <clears throat> finding service providers with similar ethics to you? So I guess I'm thinking in terms of the ingredients, whatever, or the, the raw materials or packaging that you, you use. Is that a challenge for you? Um, yes and no. I think in, in the United Kingdom, we have quite a big festival circuit of vegan and vegetarian festivals. So it, because we're willing to travel to go to all of these different events and get our cake out to everyone, we've had this great opportunity to meet all kinds of different business owners. So There's been a bit of a push in the UK as well um, for different vegan business owners to, to sort of brand together and help out each other. Um, and so you can be looking to source from like-minded companies. Um, and so I think that that's kind of certainly benefited us. Um, and whenever we're looking for something, so say we're looking for a uh, revamp of our website, we always do research into companies that will purport um, a vegan, animal, cruelty-free lifestyle, those kind of things, um, and then look to see who they've sourced from. So and try and go out of our way, not just to look for local businesses that can help us for our needs, but also for like-minded businesses. So perhaps they might not be the best suited, and at the end of the day, we're still going to go for a business that will help us you know, to grow rather than something that's good enough and they happen to be vegan. And it is a judgment call that you constantly have to make. And so my feeling is, is if, if I go out of my way to support other startup vegan businesses from all sort of genres and walks of life, then eventually it'll be um, helpful for me in the long run because I'm sure that I will need their services at some point. So um, that, that's something that we take really seriously is to help other vegan businesses to grow. Brilliant, brilliant. Love that. Now, I was going to say, I guess, you know, in terms of certain some products, like, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was only like one vegan cheese, for example. And now, you know, there's lots more vegan products. Um, I don't know if you're still the only vegan cupcake um, bakery in town. Um, <laughs> but I'm just curious, like, how do you go about standing out from the competition? I mean, I'm getting the the, the, the picture of like watch, seeing your photo here and just hearing you, you talk is that you obviously you said, like you said, you've got a very strong brand. You know, you're kind of the crazy, colourful, fabulous, decadent, over the top. Um, so is that really how you go about Or what advice would you give for people to be able to stand out even amongst the vegan marketplace as well with all these products now and new products coming online that are vying for our attention? Yeah, I think um, we created a market and, of course, we're part of our, part of our <laughs> because we have 
competitors out there. And, you know, I, I kind of, you know, not that they, they would all say, oh, the reason we started our businesses was because Miss Cupcake showed that you could make a successful business. But I do feel, you know, a little pat on the back saying, well done you. You've helped this, people to sort of see that they could make a go at this. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't mind the competition because even if, you know, even if 50 people started a vegan cupcake business, in the same area of London as I am, there would be 50 different businesses because they're run by 50 different people. Um, and I, I, I find comfort in that. Um, I think, yeah, I, 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 people say I have no shame. I'm willing to promote anything I possibly can. But the most really, the, the key thing is, is it's true to who I am. And I love talking about veganism. I love promoting it as a great way to you know be sustainable and to, to live a great life and so because of that I'm just creating an opportunity for myself to do that all the time and I always say to people when they're starting a business it doesn't matter how much money you have up front you could have um, 10,000 pounds you could have 10 pounds whatever it is you need to spend half of that money on your branding so if you've got four grand, you spend two grand on branding. If you've got 400 pounds, you spend 200 pounds on branding. And you need to, because we all look at these websites, we all look at these Facebook sites that have got this um, homemade logo on it. And we know that that you are doing the best you can. However, as a consumer, I'm not going to have confidence that you're going to be able to produce a product as good as someone else who has a very professional looking outlook on their website, on their logo, on their social media. Um, and so whatever you can do, you've got to get done professionally. And that might mean going to newly um, graduated graphic design students. That might be speaking to your brother-in-law who knows the guy, whatever it is, but whatever you can invest in the beginning to get your branding right will certainly pay off for years to come. Brilliant, brilliant. What do you think about the notion, a lot of uh, marketing gurus say nowadays that businesses should stop thinking about having competitors and instead embrace them as collaborators uh, to do joint ventures with. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, I, I think I've, I've not actually heard that before, but that's how I live my business life. Um, so the, um, you know, my feeling always was, is that if I make friends with my potential competitors or my actual competitors, we're far more likely to not step on each other's toes if we know each other. Um, and this is actually wrong, really, really true. And I've found some amazing um other businesses that do very similar things to what we do, but we, we we pass business back and forth to each other during, you know, if I'm busy and I can't take on any more orders, I will pass it on to an, a different business that I think might be able to take on some other orders. And it comes the other way around as well. And this way, we're, you know, I'm helping each other's businesses to grow rather than being like some cutthroat competition. That's brilliant. Well, you're obviously very avant-garde because this, yes, this is kind of latest that the, the marketing gurus are saying. So you're you're ahead of your time, which is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, just talk 
talking a little bit about mindset. Um, a lot of business owners say that running, um, running and owning their own business is the fastest and most effective form of personal development because it forces you to grow as a person. Um, I'm curious as to what your, your thoughts on that are and what qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful vegan business? Oh, um, do you know, if I knew the actual answer to that, um, I think I would be a billionaire and I would have retired by now. Um, <laughs> but what I can say is um, you, if you commit a certain amount of time to your business up front, so what I said um, to myself, I said, look, I'm going to start this business. I'm going, and I said this to my husband and my son. I said, you need to give me two years. And if I can't have a very clear path and goals and being able to work away from the business within two years, I will stop everything. And I really did stick to that. And that kind of gave me a kick up the backside to really dedicate everything in those first two years that I needed to dedicate and so that I would have that time in two years' time to go, okay, where am I? Is this where I want to be or am I just drowning in the business at this point? And I think that by working for yourself, by being accountable to yourself and being accountable to your team, um, and you sometimes you have to make these really hard decisions. And some of the decisions are to actually call it a day. And I've seen a lot of vegan businesses do that over, over the time I've been running. And some of them, they don't want to call it a day. And some of them, they do want to call it a day. Um, but I think the key thing is that you need to trust that you have grown yourself and through the business over the time that you've run the business to listen to, to your gut instinct. And, and I'm, I'm just really good at listening to my gut, um, and I haven't always been that way. I think that I used to overthink things, and I used to do too much research into something, and I, you know, so many businesses never actually get started because they just spend so much time thinking and planning, and um, <laughs> you know, and they never actually just just go, okay, let's just do it. Um, and so now I, I feel that I'm uh, I'm much quicker to go. Okay, actually, that's not benefiting the business, and that's not driving our end goal. We need to stop doing that and instead try something else. Um, and so I'm not afraid of change. And I think that that's certainly something you learn as a business owner. That's huge. Absolutely, that's a huge one. Great. And um, what specific either steps or strategies or techniques have you used, or you you may currently still use, to ensure that you've got a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner? So I mean things like maybe I don't know meditation, coaching, self-help courses, reading, personal development, kind of or other books. Um, this is going to sound really strange, but um, I find a lot of comfort in social media. Um, and um, uh, it's it's looking for the right kind of content for social media. So, for example, um, there's nothing better for a business to, than to get an email or a tweet saying, you know, you're amazing, what you're doing is great, I never was able to eat cake before you guys existed. Um, and that kind of um, little tiny energizer from our fans just keeps driving things along for us. Um, and then my team as well, because we share that sort of passion all together, we help each other out. And so, I, you know, I, I actually am very much tied into why we're doing this all the time. And that's the personal um, uplift I need when I actually can count the amount of animals that are being saved when someone only buys cake from us for a year for an entire year or I can say 
um, you know, that we've, we've helped X amount of people say, now I know I can be a vegan. And for me, that's kind of the motivation that I need. Um, and then, you know, I think it's also important to ensure that you do block time out for yourself. And when you're, you know, I think that as a, a business owner, that's really hard. You never totally switch off. And, um, you, you you need to you you really need to you need to train yourself to so by even if it isn't the you know because obviously we're most busy at the weekends so I can't take weekends off that would be crazy <laughs> and but by ensuring that there is time in the week for you just to do the stuff you need to do to enjoy your life beyond your business I think that that's really important um, so that's something else we we make sure that we all take care of ourselves. Wonderful, wonderful. So you've mentioned, like, what would you say the the key lessons that you've learned through running your business, either personally or professionally? I know you've touched on that a little bit. I just wonder if you could just reiterate. What what would you say in summary have been the the key lessons you've learned throughout the time you've been running your business? Um, uh, So I think there's a a few things that I I hold really dear. Number one is um, it's only cake. <laughs> and, and, and that's and, and I think that that's actually transferable to a lot of businesses. Um, and sometimes you just need to say to yourself, "I know, I know, this feels overwhelming, but at the end of the day, it's only cake." <laughs> I know. And and whatever your product is, whatever it, you know, sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you have an unhappy customer, and you have to just kind of accept that you've done everything in your power to try and rectify the situation. But at the end of the day, you can't let it sit personally on yourself. And and I think that that's a, a great thing for people to take into their lives as well. And that yes, you need to feel confident that you've put everything you possibly could in to make that friendship work or to make that relationship work but at the end of the day it's it's all it's it's not it's not life or death here it's it's only cake um, and okay. so for me that's, that's a kind of a motto that I've learned I've also you know as I mentioned before I've really learned to trust my instincts and to know when to say we need to stop doing this to when know when to quit I think is as valuable as to know when to grow Perfect, perfect. Um, what, if any, expert help have you used over the years to grow your business? So, if, for example, hiring others for business coaching, marketing, publicity, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I am I'm a huge fan of listening to absolutely everyone's advice in the world and then having faith in myself to disregard it as well. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm always open to every mindset, whether it's reading whatever the latest business self-help book is or um, looking, going on whatever courses I can possibly go on. Some of them are absolutely direly bad, but usually you're able to get something out of it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, we're we're very good at looking around to see what kind of free support we can get. Um, and it, as I was saying before, in the UK, there's a huge government drive on growing businesses. So um, about five years ago, there was a massive rise on helping startup businesses. And now it's focused more on helping grow established businesses. So we've benefited on both ends of things. 
And so this might mean going to loads of different courses, having some government funding to seek um, external help. I think it's really important to listen to absolutely every bit of advice and then just trust you know your brand well enough to go, "Mm, that's not actually going to work for us. I'll disregard that. So, um, and it, it, you do, if, if you can't access that kind of um, free advice um, through your local government, then you do need to actually invest in it. Um, And it could be um, a skills um, sharing or a skill swap. So if you, for example, are an accountancy business, um, then you might be able to share some of your skills to a marketing company and vice versa. So um, I think that there is certainly a way you can barter knowledge, which we've done in the past as well. Great, fantastic, fantastic. For those people who are aspiring to, so they're still in employment, uh, they're aspiring to owning a vegan-run business, um, what, in your opinion, are the key things they need to take into account before making that jump from employment to uh, self-employed to running their own business? Um, I always suggest that people try and find a part way, um, that if there's a way that they can go part-time with um, their employment um, rather than um, having to worry about all the financial implications of starting your own business straight away. Because, um, you know, I, I sort of phased out my teaching career um, while I was investing in starting my business because you are learning how to run a business, you are making mistakes, you are learning from those mistakes. And if you're worried about how you're going to pay your rent at the end of the month on top of all of that, it's you're not going to be thinking logically about the business. So if there's any way you can do both things part time for a time until you think, okay, I'm earning enough money through the business so I can actually step away and go, I'm not going to end up on the street, and then I would definitely recommend um, doing it like that. Brilliant. I think that's a really, really good advice. Um, in terms of marketing and, and PR and branding, um, in regards to the use of the word vegan, so in your marketing materials, on your website, in your shop, etc., and the prominence of the word, there's two schools of thought. One, it's limiting and it's scary. You know, just using the word scares people away. Or two, it's very good, clever, niche marketing. What are your thoughts on that? And uh, tell me a bit about your choice of how you use the word in your marketing and why. Um, I, you know, we, we make no, um, we don't hide the fact we're vegan. Um, I, I certainly think that there are some businesses that perhaps hide behind the word vegetarian. I think sometimes they just don't make any claim. They'll say dairy free or something like that. And I certainly don't feel that they're doing anything wrong. Um, but I think, um, for, for us, we just make sure that although it, they are vegan cakes and we're open and honest and we tell everyone they are, we make it really clear that everyone is welcome we make cake for everyone we we make a cake that you can share with someone who happens to be lactose intolerant that happens to don't eat eggs because of religious reasons and then a friend who's also a strict vegetarian and a friend who's a vegan and a friend who's got an allergy and all those reasons we make a cake everyone can enjoy so it doesn't matter what you can and can't eat and I think that that's the key difference um so although we use the word vegan we don't pigeonhole it we make it really clear everyone is welcome. Um, And I think that if you do want to identify with veganism um, and not be as open to encouraging customers who are not vegan to to use your services, then you will become something very, very niche and it may be very tricky for you to turn a profit. 
Got it. When you say you use the word vegan, like, do you have it? Is it on your shop front, or how how prominent do you use it, or is it just kind of uh, mentioned yeah. on your website? Um, our, our our sign on our shop says "Ms. Cupcake, the naughtiest vegan cakes in town." Um, and but when you walk in the door, yep, um, all the we sell things other than um, cupcakes and layer cakes and all the other things you find in a bakery. We also sell um, cookbooks on veganism, on veganism lifestyle. We give out pamphlets on. Um, um, for people who are interested in animal rights or becoming vegan. However, we certainly wouldn't say to someone when they walked in the door, hello, are you a vegan? <laughs> That's yeah. not something we would do. So I guess it is it is possible that someone may not see the sign. They may not notice the literature when they come in the door and they just see amazing cake. And that's fine as well. Um, when we started the business, um, I think we'd been open a few weeks um, and we'd had, you know, local people were very curious and they're coming in and they're buying the cakes and they're trying things out. And we always sample so that people who are skeptical will be able to try because the proof's always in the pudding. And um, after about a few weeks, there was a woman who came in and said, well, so what is this vegan you put in all your cakes then? <laughs> um, and, and to me, that meant, okay, we're doing it right. Because Absolutely. although she knew there was something to do with this vegan thing, which she didn't know what it was, it wasn't stopping her from buying them. Cool. Um, do you use um, media or have you used media as part of your PR strategy? I believe you have actually. You've, you've already had some press coverage. So I'm, I'm curious, did you instigate that or did it come to you? Um, we never, ever, ever pay for advertising or promotion. Um, I mean editorial. I mean editorial. Oh, so, um, yeah, it, it's a com I guess it's a combination, but we never sort of seek it out. We don't go directly to newspapers and say, hello, look at us. This is what we're doing. <laughs> we, um, and, you know, we create a brand on social media and then media finds us. So you, it does feel like when you're starting out a Twitter account or an Instagram account or Facebook or whatever it is, you do feel like you're just shouting out into the wilderness. Um, but you have to do that and you have to build a team of followers. You have to get um, people interested in your brand um, because then when media does come across you, they go, oh, gosh, they've got 8,000 followers. Oh, OK, I should listen to them. I should I should look at them. Oh, this could be something people know something we don't know and we should be you know letting people know about this um, and, I, and, and yeah. so I think that that's actually a much easier way than if you approach media and television and and, and you know I, I know a lot of people say to me how do you get published because obviously I you know I now write cookbooks and people say how do you get published and I say actually I have no idea how you get published because I had five publishers come to me because they could see that you've got 10, 20,000 followers on Facebook. They see that as cash sales um, for actual books um, because you've got this direct audience already who know your brand and like your brand and like your product. So they're going to, chances are, some of them are going to go buy your books. Um, but if you have 100 followers on Facebook and you approach um, a publishing house to say, I want to write a cookbook, they're not really going to listen in this day and age, regardless of what, how great your recipes are. So you do often need to build your brand and then the other things will follow. Awesome. I noticed in terms of marketing strategies, I'm hearing that um, social media uh, I'm getting is a, is a big uh, platform for you. What particular platforms are you most active on uh, and, and that are most successful for your business, whether raising brand awareness or getting leads and sales? 
Um, so Facebook is long term for us. Um, we don't find um, an immediate um, sale when we get um, when we post on Facebook because we get Facebook followers from all over the world. So it's a much longer burn for us. We find that Twitter is more immediate. So if we say we've got this particular product on Twitter, we will have people in within a couple of hours who want to get that product. Um, but I think because we're a food business, the number one um, focus right now is on Instagram, and that's because um, photographs are just perfect for food. Um, and that's um, and so that's the key one for us. But we do dabble in everything else. Um, I wish I had time for blogging more than just microblogging, but um, you know, I think that that also could certainly help us in the future as well. So that was Melissa Morgan from Ms. Cupcake and author of Ms. Cupcake, The Naughtiest Vegan Cakes in Town. You can find out more about the store and the book at mscupcake.co.uk and as usual you can find the link to that at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. And now for a roundup of vegan business news. British coffee shop chain Costa Coffee announced that they're introducing a vegan fruit crumble to their offerings this year, reports Food Bev Media. Costa becomes the first chain in the UK to launch a vegan product registered with the Vegan Society's vegan trademark. Now, there's been mixed opinions about this. Some people think it's not enough because Costa still serves dairy milk. My view is that it's a step in the right direction. It shows that large companies are starting to take vegan or plant-based eating seriously. It gets the word vegan out there and more associated with something tasty and delicious. Now, obviously, we want these chains to go further and remove all animal products. But hey, it's a start. Now, here's an example of one business that did go all vegan, showing that anything is possible. LA Magazine ran a lovely feature on Soul Dad's goat's cheese becoming vegan. The owners, Carol and Julian Pierce, converted their 20-acre goat farm into an animal sanctuary and made their cheese plant-based. And the good news is that many of their customers actually prefer the vegan version. What a fantastic story that is, and we want to see more and more of that. A teenage entrepreneur in New Zealand won a competition recently with her vegan pie, which subsequently went on sale at petrol station Z Energy's outlets. Shortly after, it was discovered that the pies contained a trace amount of an ingredient comprised of ground-up poultry feathers. Ew! Now, what's interesting about this story, though, is the way the petrol station handled the situation. They could have complained about vegans being extreme. They could have said, oh, well, it's only a tiny amount of feathers or tried to justify or defend themselves in some other way. Instead, they were completely open, apologised unreservedly for their honest mistake, vowed that it had been rectified for future pies, and they even donated existing ones that had already been baked to charity instead of selling them. Now, from a PR point of view, this is gold. Uh, This whole thing could have been very, very damaging for their brand. Instead, they got heaps of praise and support from vegans and non-vegans alike. So there's another PR tip for you. If you mess up, you do something wrong in your business, own up, go out of your way to fix things and turn dissatisfied customers into raving fans. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Katrina Fox and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now. 